morning, TLC. Uh, Merry Christmas. We just celebrated Christmas a few days ago, and we had a Christmas-themed community time video about gifts. It's got me thinking about some gifts that I've received over the past years. And I'll never forget, in the Christmas of 2004, I was in fourth grade, I believe, nine years old. I think that's what grade you're in when you're nine. The GameCube, Nintendo GameCube, had just come out a year or two before that. And my brothers and I, I have two brothers, we had been gaming it up on the Nintendo 64, and we were ready for an upgrade, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we, we were wanting a GameCube, we had been asking for it, and uh, that Christmas morning, we opened up a bunch of our gifts, and then all of a sudden, my parents brought out this gift for all of us. And we were like, oh, maybe it is. And sure enough, we ripped off the, all the wrapping paper. We argued about who got to take off the most, probably. And sure enough, in the box was a Nintendo GameCube. And we were so stoked. Uh, my brothers and I, we, had to, we took a picture. Here's us with our GameCube. We don't look happy, but I promise we are. We're just fourth grade, second grade boys, and my dad was always taking pictures, and we just got tired of it, but we are so happy. My nose, I've, I got a little redness on my nose. I think maybe I had a nosebleed, like I was so pumped. I don't know what's going on with the nose there, but you can see the gang's all there. We got Mario Kart Double Dash. We got Super Smash. We got uh, NBA Live. Like, this was just awesome. Like, I felt so much joy, relief, and triumph even. In fact, when we opened up the GameCube, I, started, I stood up and I started just like talking trash and like flexing on people about my GameCube. Even though no one was there, my dad was recording, and I just started mentioning other friends and how I was better than them because now I had a GameCube, right? Like those are the shallow musings of a fourth grade Austin, how I'm better than other people. I, I felt some triumph over them because I had a GameCube now. Now, I hope that maybe, maybe you weren't like talking trash to your friends, but I hope that this Christmas, like you experienced some real moments of joy and relief with family, friends, maybe a cool gift that you got. Who knows, maybe you got a GameCube and you are feeling some triumph right now over your friends. I, it's probably not uh, the best, but a GameCube is kind of, you know, 20 years old or whatever, but who knows, maybe, maybe that's you this morning. More importantly, though, I hope that you noticed the arrival of Jesus this season, that you felt God break into your life in a new and a fresh way. I also think that many of us, many of us feel a little bit of uncertainty. We feel a little bit of fatigue. We're unsure of now that the holiday season is coming to an end, we're not sure how we're going to feel afterwards. In fact, I've heard many people express this concern. I'm so glad that Christmas is here. It's been such a hard year. I'm so glad we have the Christmas season, but I'm not sure how I'm going to feel after. You see, Advent has passed. Christmas has passed. Soon the new year will be here, and I think many people are beginning to ask the question, now what? When I was in college, uh, I was required to do, my, in my senior year, I was required to do an internship a uh, seven-month internship at a church full-time, and I had to go 100 miles from home and 100 miles from school. And I ended up in this little town called Jasper, Indiana. Uh, we have a picture of a mural in Jasper. You'll notice they got like a German flag on there because there's like some rich German heritage in uh, little Jasper, Indiana. They have a huge uh, festival. It's called Strassenfest, and like everyone comes to Strassenfest, and like there's German flags everywhere. It's crazy. And I, I loved Jasper. I, in Jasper, I got to be part of a church called Redemption Christian Church. Uh, we have a picture, I think, of their sanctuary, and, and I loved redemption. I got to, uh, I got to be, uh, live in a house with an awesome host family, and I had a great mentor named Drew, and I got to be an amazing, a, a part of this amazing church and, and staff, and it was just, it was a great experience for me. But it was also 
a really hard experience at times. See, I felt like I was missing out. I spent the summer and the fall semester of my senior year away from my friends, away from my family. I was kind of alone and felt kind of forced into like a, a, a hybrid of adulthood, and I didn't like that all the time. I felt unsure of what was going to happen to me after graduation. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I was unsure of a lot of things, and so this was also a really tough season for me. And I'll never forget my, my, my happiest, like most exciting, best moment in Jasper, my seven months there, and my hardest, most difficult moment came like back to back. It happened almost uh, simultaneously. I had been given the opportunity towards the end of my internship to actually give a sermon on Sunday morning, like for the whole church. I had never done that before for the entire church, and I don't know what they were thinking letting me do that, but they did, and I'm super glad that they did. I spent a lot of time prepping. I was nervous, of course, and I actually had some friends and family come into town. They spent the weekend with me, hanging out with some friends, my host family, and uh, then they, were, they attended church uh, that Sunday morning like in support, right? And uh, you're like, oh no, did it go bad? No, it didn't go bad. I promise that's not like the, the turn of the story. It, it went well, like as well as it possibly could have for like a 21-year-old kid giving his first uh, sermon on a Sunday morning for the church. Right? Like it went well, I prepped well, I, I was excited. And afterwards, I'll never forget like the, just the feeling of like intense joy and relief and triumph that I experienced. And, and right after I went with my friend's family, my host family, we went to get some awesome Mexican food at this place called Los Bravos. It's delicious. Like it's so good. It's in Jasper of all places I know, but it's delicious. I think we got some homemade ice cream after that at a joint called Libby's. It was so good. And I was just like, I was in it. Like I was just so happy, intense joy, relief, triumph. And then in a moment, everyone had left and it was gone. My joy, my relief, my triumph, it was gone. And I was left with my own self, with fear, anxiety, and exhaustion just overtook me. Because sometimes it's right after a moment of intense joy and relief and triumph, I think, that we're confronted with our own fear and anxiety and exhaustion. That was the case for a prophet named Elijah, who after experiencing an intense moment of joy and relief and triumph, was confronted with his own exhaustion. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19? We're going to read an incredible story that took place in the, the life of the prophet Elijah. And as you turn, just to set up a little bit of context, uh, Elijah was a prophet, and in the two chapters prior to what we're going to be reading this morning, Elijah had actually uh, challenged the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal was a pagan god that the king and queen of Israel had decided to worship, and there were a ton of prophets of Baal, and Elijah challenged them and said, hey, meet me on Mount Carmel. We're going to set up two piles of wood, and we're going to pray to our God, and whosoever God brings the fire sets this pile of wood on fire from the sky, basically. That's whose God is the real God. That's whose God is the far superior God. Now, there were 450 prophets of Baal, and there, were one, there was one Elijah. It was this crazy display of power and faith, and it worked. Like God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, brought the fire down from the sky and left the prophets of Baal embarrassed and without faith. 
it worked. It was crazy. Like, like that's the equivalent to us like renting out like Van Andel Arena or Rosa Park Circle or something to put on this display of faith and power and it actually working. Like Elijah was on cloud nine, right? He experienced this moment of joy and triumph and relief. He's feeling himself a little bit. He's bragging a little bit and he thinks he knows what's going to happen next. And that's kind of where we pick up in the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're gonna read the first three verses. It says this, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, like, I'm going to kill you, right? So Elijah was afraid, it says, Elijah, he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. This was supposed to be like a moment of Elijah for, of joy and triumph and relief, right? Like he had defeated the prophets of Baal. The Lord's hand was upon him. But instead, he gets word from Queen Jezebel, and we see Elijah run out of anxiety, out of isolation, and out of exhaustion. Because sometimes it's right after an intense moment of joy, relief, and triumph that we're confronted with our own fear and anxiety and exhaustion. Let's keep reading in verses four to eight to see what happens here in this story of Elijah. Picking up in verse four, it says, while he, Elijah, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he, might, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. Sounds like a good combo, right? Like Thanksgiving or something. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up ate and drank, and then strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. You see, in this story, we see that Elijah was exhausted in three ways. Elijah was exhausted in three ways. The first way that Elijah was exhausted was physically he was physically exhausted. Elijah had spent years doing the physical, de physically demanding work of prophecy, traveling from place to place to tell people the truth, maybe the truth that they don't want to hear. And he had spent the last few days putting on this massive show of a display of faith and power. And then he had spent the last day or so actually running for his life, like cross country. He had run like a cross country race, like 20 miles or something. So he gets to this tree, he sits down and he lays down and he falls asleep. Elijah is physically exhausted. The second type of exhaustion that we see from Elijah was mental. Elijah was mentally exhausted. In verse 4, he even asked that he might die. Like, Elijah's vitality was crushed. Like, deep down, he had no will to live. His plan had not worked out. In fact, in verses 10 and 14, we'll read soon, you'll hear Elijah two times basically explain his plan to God and how it hadn't worked, how he was frustrated by this, how he was exhausted by this. He felt alone. He didn't know where to turn. Elijah was mentally exhausted. And finally, spiritually. The third way Elijah we see exhausted here is spiritually. 
He felt out of touch with God. He felt disconnected. He felt unsure of who God was. He felt unsure of God's presence and God's provision. And we know this because of where he's headed. Did you notice in verse 8, it said Elijah was heading towards Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Have you ever had a spot, quick question, have you ever had a spot that's like a sentimental place or a symbolic place for a relationship that you have with someone? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, uh, maybe it's a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. Like when you think of this person, you think of this place. Maybe you have a really good memory there or maybe it's the place that you go and that's where you hang out with that person most often. I don't know, maybe it's like a park in Grand Rapids, like, uh, like a Nabawin Park. Or maybe it's a city somewhere else. You took a trip there, and uh, it's a special place for you guys, a city like New York or something like that. I don't know. Or, or maybe it's like a monument that something happened at. Like maybe you got engaged at the Eiffel Tower. If so, like good for you. Uh, and, and that's your special place, right? Like maybe it's like that. Or maybe it's like a restaurant that you often go to when you're with this person and you connect with them. A restaurant like, I don't know, like, um, uh, like Arby's or so. I, I don't know why I said Arby's. Uh, but Arby's, they have the meats, right? Like maybe that's where you connect with that person. It's a special place. When you think of that person, you think of that place. It's significant. It's symbolic. That's what Mount Horeb was for the Israelite people and God. You see, at Mount Horeb, on that mountaintop, God had made a covenant with the Israelite people. God had given his 10 commandments on that mountaintop. God had declared his name and his glory to the Israelite people on, you guessed it, that mountaintop, Mount Horeb, another name for it, Mount Sinai. You see, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb because he knows that that's where he can find God. He's unsure of who God is. He's unsure of God's provision. He's unsure of God's presence. He feels disconnected. He feels spiritually exhausted. Elijah was exhausted mentally, physically, and spiritually. But None of us are Old Testament prophets, right? I, I, I hope I'm not breaking news to you. You are not an Old Testament prophet. My guess is, like, we don't have a Queen Jezebel, like, running after us. If you do, let us know. We want to help you. <laughs> and none of us are running uh, away in the, in the desert in the Middle East, right? But I think that for many of us, we feel a lot of the similar feelings that Elijah felt. We've just experienced this intense moment of joy and relief, maybe uh, from Christmas, from the holidays, from the Advent season. We're looking forward to the new year, whatever it is. We've experienced this moment of joy and relief, and soon, maybe already, we're going to be asking this question of, now what? Like Elijah, I think many of us feel alone. We feel anxious, and we feel exhausted, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Here's the good news, though. All right, here's the good news. We have good news this morning. The good news is that God, we see God provide rest, and we see God provide comfort to Elijah in all three of these ways. Check it out. We're going to read the last uh, portion of this story, verses 9 to 18 of 1 Kings chapter 9. Will you read with me? Now, Elijah had reached Mount Horeb. It says, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. That means he knows that God is present. He's pulling his cloak over his face. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Sounds like a broken record, right? And the Lord then said to him, Elijah, go back the way that you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mohala, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, in this story, we see God provide rest and comfort to Elijah in three ways, physically, mentally, and spiritually. God provides rest and comfort. First, physically, God, notice the first thing that God does after Elijah asks him to take his life in verse four, the passage that we read a little bit ago. Elijah says, take my life, and the first thing that God does is he feeds him. God sends an angel of the Lord and starts like baking this dude some bread and giving him some water. Like, can we just notice that for for a second? Sometimes people come to us with some different things that they're dealing with and we wanna do this, we wanna do that. We kind of over-spiritualize everything, but sometimes people are just tired. Sometimes people are just hungry. Sometimes people just need some physical rest and God gives Elijah that. God gives Elijah food. God gives Elijah some rest, like six weeks off. And then God gives him, uh, God gives Elijah plenty of fresh air. Like God provides comfort and rest physically for Elijah. We also see God provide rest, comfort, and comfort for Elijah mentally. After Elijah rests, God asks him this self-evaluative question on Mount Horeb. He says multiple times, Elijah, what are you doing here? Almost as if to say, Elijah, it's your plan that brought you to this point. God is basically saying, Elijah, I get that if I don't exist, why you are here, but I do exist. Elijah, what are you doing here? 
God's asking Elijah, Elijah, let me take control. Your plan is what got you to this point. Your plan is why you're frustrated. And God gives Elijah a new plan. God says, let me take control. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna return to Damascus. You're gonna anoint Hazael and Jehu. And then God reminds him that he's not alone. At the end, he said, I have 7,000 other prophets, basically, who I can rise up, who are with you, Elijah. And then God even gives him an apprentice to walk with him. His name is Elisha. That could get confusing, right? Elijah, Elisha. But God provides rest. God provides comfort for Elijah mentally. And then finally, God provides rest and comfort for Elijah spiritually. God fills him up with hope and purpose and reminds him of who he is. You'll notice in verse 11, Yahweh tells Elijah to go and stand out on the mountain. But Elijah doesn't go. No, uh, Yahweh starts to come, and, and it says a strong wind comes and shatters the rocks, but it says that, that God was not in that. The Lord was not in that. And then an earthquake comes and, and like shatters a bunch of stuff, and, and that also God was not in, it says. And then a fire comes, a fire rains down, and it also says God was not in the fire either. You see, these were all ways that God had manifested his presence in the past. So as these things are happening, Elijah would have been expecting to feel God's presence, but he doesn't. But then a still, small voice a gentle whisper, a new, fresh revelation of God's presence assures Elijah that God is here. And Elijah covers his face and he heads out to the mountain. The, word, the Hebrew words used to describe this gentle whisper, this still, small voice, uh, are, can be translated a sound of silence, which is like contradictory, Right? It's this weird combination of absence and presence that miraculously assures Elijah that God is here, that God is present. You see, God comes to Elijah in a gentle whisper to remind him that he is who he says he is. He is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, that he is the good shepherd that in him, Elijah has everything that he needs. That in him, he lacks nothing. You see, this fresh revelation of God's presence and provision reminds Elijah through a still small voice that in, him, in God, Elijah has rest. God provides rest. God provides comfort for Elijah spiritually. And this still small voice reminds me of Christmas reminds me of this past week. As we celebrated Christmas this past Sunday, Torin gave us a message on the unexpected nature of Christ. Christ did not arrive with a flash and a bang. He didn't arrive with fanfare. He didn't arrive in the ways that maybe people expected. Christ didn't arrive in the ways that God had arrived in the past, like an earthquake or a fire or wind. He arrived like a gentle whisper. In the still of a night, a baby born of Mary, son of Joseph, a carpenter. His name was Jesus. From a gentle whisper in the ear of an exhausted prophet on Mount Horeb to a baby born in Bethlehem named Jesus, we see throughout all of scripture that God is a God who is with his people. Yesterday, today, and forevermore.
And Jesus is the ultimate display that God is with his people. Jesus came to be with people. Jesus came to live and to die, to give joy and hope and love and peace to all, to give salvation to all and to give rest to all. And so my question for you this morning is this. Where do you feel tired? How are you weary at the end of this year? Is it physically? Is it mentally? Is it spiritually? Where do you feel you need rest at? Where do you feel you need God to come in and provide comfort and rest? To help us kind of diagnose the way that we feel the most tired, the most weary, the most exhausted, I actually have a couple of symptoms of each that I wanna read for you. And as I read these symptoms, I I just want you to focus on how you feel as I read them. I don't want you to focus on what you're going to do to change these things or better understand those things. I don't want you to feel bad about these things. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay to feel exhausted and weary. It's been a really hard year. The goal here is just to help us better understand the specific ways that we feel weary and that we feel exhausted so that we can better prepare and better understand the ways that God might want to come in and provide comfort and rest. Next week, Torn's actually going to kind of help us dissect and self-evaluate and better understand more of our habits and then provide us a tool that helps us kind of orient our lives to become more like Christ in this coming year. Like, we're going to get to that. The goal of this morning is just to discern and understand where are we at, how do we feel, in what ways are we tired. So I'm going to read these symptoms really quick for you, and we'll have them on the screen that you can, so you can follow along. Again, just focusing on, on how you feel. So a couple symptoms of physical fatigue, exhaustion, and weariness. First is a lack of care for your body. Maybe you don't have time, you feel you don't have time for the basics, like eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food. You've gained some weight maybe, you get sick a lot, and you regularly wake up tired. You live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. That's what John Mark Comer says. By the way, all of these symptoms are almost a direct quote from a book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. So if you're interested, you can always check that out. So that's the first symptom. The second symptom is workaholism. You just don't know when to stop, or maybe you feel like you can't. Another hour, another day, another week, Careerism or just obsessive house cleaning and errand running are your addiction. By the day's end, you have nothing left to give to your spouse, your children, your loved ones, or even yourself. If lack of care for your body or workaholism resonate with you, you might be physically exhausted and weary and fatigued this morning. Some symptoms of mental exhaustion, fatigue. First, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You read scripture, but you find it boring. You have quiet time with God, but you can't focus your mind. You go to bed early, but you toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV while you simultaneously check your phone, fold laundry, and get into an argument on Facebook. Another symptom, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grump email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events, and you just can't seem to roll with the punches. 
If you resonate with restlessness or hypersensitivity, you might be mentally exhausted and weary this morning. And finally, spiritual exhaustion, fatigue, some symptoms. First, escapist behaviors. You turn to a distraction of choice rather than something that's actually life-giving for your soul. Maybe it's overeating or over-drinking or binge-watching Netflix or browsing social media or online shopping or looking at porn or whatever it is. You find yourself stuck in this negative feedback loop and you cannot seem to get out. One more symptom for spiritual exhaustion fatigue is isolation. You feel disconnected from God, from others, and from your own soul. On the rare time that you do stop to pray to actually sit with God in the quiet, you're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy God's company. And it's the same for your time with your friends and family. It's constant to-dos and digital distractions to keep you from the void that you feel in your soul. If you resonate with isolation or escapist behaviors, you might be spiritually weary and exhausted this morning. God came to Elijah in a gentle whisper. Now, the only way that you can hear a gentle whisper is if you slow down enough to listen. And so before I close this morning, I just want to give us like 30 seconds to a minute to listen, to listen to the ways that God might want to bring a new and fresh revelation of his presence and his provision for us to listen to the, ourselves, our body, the way that we feel, with, the way that we're exhausted, and then to ask God to provide comfort and rest in that. So we're gonna take 30 seconds to a minute. What I want you to do is just spend some time uh, reflecting on what's the symptom that I resonate most with, what's the way that I feel the most exhausted, the most weary, and ask God to provide comfort and rest for you in that. We'll have a slide that has those symptoms and those categories on there for you if you lost those while I was reading, and I just want you to reflect with me now. Later in his life, a little after the whole swaddled in a manger thing, Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, Jesus is the God who is with his people. In Christ, we lack nothing. And in Christ, we have rest. Even in a weary world, we rejoice. I'd like to pray to close, but before I do that, I just 
I want to read the words of Jesus again over our church. As I read those this morning, just let those words wash over you this morning in between the holidays. Let them wash over you as you head into the new year. Let them wash over you the exhaustion and the weariness and the fatigue that you feel. If you need to close your eyes, whatever it is, I just want to read these words over our church once more. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the words of Jesus. If you're in need of that rest this morning, I just ask that you would pray with me. I ask that you would pray a prayer with me out loud in your room, in your bed, wherever it is. Or if you don't want to pray it out loud, maybe you type it in the chat and you send it in the chat. Or if you don't want to do that, but you want this, that rest this morning, you want to pray, maybe it's deep down quiet in your soul. Whatever it is, I ask that you would pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray it over our church once, and then I'm going to pray it personally. And that second time, I ask that you would pray this prayer with me. We'll have it on the screen. You can follow along. But I just ask that you'll... Uh, pray with me this morning. Jesus, we come to you weary. Help us find rest for our body, for our mind, and for our soul in you. Now a second time, and this is when I, I invite you to pray this with me, wherever you're at. It's in the chat. It's out loud. Deep down in your soul, if you want that rest this morning, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I come to you weary. Help me find rest for my body, for my mind, and for my soul in you. Amen and amen. I love you guys. I'm so excited that we got to worship this morning. I'm excited for next week. Uh, if you want to stick around, if you want to pray with someone, uh, you want to continue some of that prayer, you want prayer over a specific area that you're feeling exhausted in, whatever it is, if you want prayer this morning, you're more than welcome to just request prayer in the chat, and we have some online hosts that would love to pray with you. Otherwise, I am excited to worship with you guys next week. Have a great Sunday, and have a great time celebrating the new year. See you guys next year. All right, peace.